It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 197 for Father's Day, June 20th, 2010. Recorded June 18th. I have sent a memo to myself. The memo says, Stop saying, with each new version of Snagit, that the application cannot be improved. You will be wrong again. Most of the images you see on TechBiter Worldwide are from Snagit, and there's a good reason for that. It's simply that I haven't found anything better. Snagit is now in double digits with version 10, and it is better than ever. In fact, after working with a review copy for less than five minutes, I ordered the latest version for the office. Yes, it is that good. Not perfect, as you'll hear shortly, but very, very good. The most significant change, as far as I'm concerned, in version 10 is what they call the all-in-one capture option. For years, I've used three primary capture definitions, defined area, window, and full screen. The problem with that method is that sometimes I forget which definition I'm using, and after I launch Snagit, I realize that I've got the wrong definition active. I want defined area, but the window is active, or I want the window, but a defined area is active. Version 10 eliminates that problem. The solution, in fact, is simple and elegant. Hover the mouse over the top of the screen, and you'll get a full-screen capture. Hover the mouse over any window, and you'll get a window capture. Click and drag a rectangle, and you get a defined area capture. This is so astonishingly easy to comprehend that I'm surprised I didn't think of it before and recommend it to TechSmith. It's funny how great ideas seem so obvious once you've seen them, isn't it? So that one feature alone is worth the $25 upgrade fee, but there's more. There is transparency now. If you save the final image to a format that supports transparency, Ping, for example, or GIF, your screen captures can float on your web page or PowerPoint program. Improved text. Snagit now allows you to rotate text boxes if you need something other than standard horizontal text. You can do uploads to screencast.com. This is a free service provided by TechSmith. It allows users to store screen captures for review by coworkers. Instead of sending the images by email, just upload them to Screencast. Uploads can be public, private, or even password protected. And those who view the files can comment on them on Screencast. When that happens, you can receive an email notification if you want one. Another big plus, auto-scroll, finally works. For several versions, there has been an auto-scroll function, but it didn't always work. In fact, it usually didn't work. Now it's easier to select from that all-in-one interface, and I found it to be totally reliable. There is a lot to like about the new version of Snagit, but perfection is elusive. For all of the great new features, and despite all of my praise, I wish that TechSmith had spent just a little more time testing this version before they released it. I have found and reported several bugs to the company, and TechSmith has been able to replicate most of them. Fixes are promised for a future maintenance release. For example, files can be renamed improperly by the multi-rename function. When you have several screen captures, you may want to rename all of the files all at once. You select the files, you tell Snagit to rename the files. 
What I found is that sometimes not all of the selected files are renamed. Other times, non-selected files are renamed. Numbers are sometimes skipped. Well, TechSmith determined that there is a bug in the rename code. When multiple renames happen and the view is sorted by title, the list is reordered during the renaming process. This confuses the sorting. The workaround is pretty simple. Just sort the files by something other than the name before you rename them. But I can just imagine somebody in an office creating, oh, say, 100 or 150 screen captures to document a big project and then renaming them all and discovering to their chagrin that now everything is out of order. This could be a dangerous bug. Keyboard copy and paste functions seem not to be available when renaming files. This isn't really a new bug, and I've complained about it previously. To copy or paste when you're manually renaming a file, it's necessary to right-click the selected text and use the context menu. Well, I prefer using the keyboard. Snagit has not responded to this complaint. When the multi-rename function works properly, it really isn't particularly important. I found that the Finish button doesn't finish. In previous versions, when you selected Finish, it performed Snagit's final action with the screen capture. In most cases, that final step would be to write a file to the disk. Then the Finish button became inactive, indicating that you had finished. Now it remains active. This can lead the user to think that the file hasn't yet been written to the disk, and pressing the button again creates a second copy of the file. Not a real serious bug, just an annoyance. I reported that the editor view pop-up image doesn't change after a file is deleted. When the mouse cursor hovers over an image in the open captures tray, a larger view pops up so that you can see what it is. If you delete the top left image from open captures by clicking the X that's displayed on the image, the capture is dropped, but the larger image of the now-gone image remains. TechSmith has confirmed this one. They say they will fix it. And last, sometimes an image that should be copied to the clipboard never reaches the clipboard. Now, this might be a Windows 64-bit problem. TechSmith is having a very difficult time replicating this problem, and additional research by me suggests that it is at least partially a Windows bug with 64-bit versions of Vista and Windows 7. In many cases, repeatedly copying from Snagit to the clipboard eventually places the image on the clipboard. Sometimes no amount of copying transfers the image to the clipboard. Well, I don't consider any of those bugs to be a true showstopper. The most annoying problem is the one that involves the clipboard, and that one may not be something that TechSmith can resolve. The most dangerous bug is that multi-rename bug, because incorrect file names could wreak havoc on several hours' worth of work. The workaround, as I mentioned, is easy enough. But the bug needs to be fixed. And soon. Bottom line, four cats for Snagit. Snagit defines a new standard for screen captures. I'm not going to say that they can't do it any better because I know that version 11 will include improvements that I can't live without, but that I can't yet foresee. If you need to grab what's on your screen and share it with others, and you want the best screen capture application on the market, what you need is Snagit. For more information, you can visit the TechSmith website. You'll find a link to that site from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In an earlier episode, I mentioned that Microsoft had replaced a keyboard when I complained about the markings wearing away on some of the more used keys. At the time, I complained that the replacement, like the keyboard it was replacing, had several keys in what I consider to be the wrong places. I was forever pressing insert when I wanted home, 
or delete when I wanted end. When I'd finally had enough of that, I pried some of the keys off the keyboard and moved them. What does that do? Well, by itself, nothing. But then I edited the registry. The keys are now where I want them, and they do what I want them to do. The process is surprisingly easy. Physically moving the keys was easy enough because they're all the same size and shape. All that's required is a small screwdriver for leverage and a bit of careful prying to remove the keys. Next, I placed the keys that I wanted to move in their new locations and pressed down to lock them into place. At this point, using the keyboard would have been a bit confusing. That's because pressing Home switched the typing mode between Insert and Overstrike. Pressing the Insert key moved the cursor to the beginning of the current line. Pressing the End key deleted the letter to the right of the cursor, and pressing the Delete key moved the cursor to the end of the current line. Wow, that would be really confusing. So, the next step involved editing the registry to match up the keys with the scan codes that the keyboard sends when a key is pressed. Simple. Start the registry editor, navigate to Local Machine, System, Current Control Set, Control, Keyboard Layout. Then create a new binary value called scan code map and enter this value 00000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
Now, I wanted to map the caps lock key. In fact, I wanted to turn the caps lock key off. So I wanted to map it to null. The caps lock key is 003A. Null is 0000. Now here's another place where it's backwards. You place what you're going to map to first and the key you're mapping from second. And in little Indian format, so everything's reversed. 0000, but instead of 003A, it's 3A00. Next set, the insert key. E052 to home, E047. So that is stated as 47E052E0. E0. Then I want to place the home key function on the physical insert key. The home key is E047, insert key is E052. In registry terms, that would be 52E047E0. E0. Then I'm going to do the end key function on the physical delete key. The registry entry for that is 53E04FE0. And I want the delete key function where the physical end key used to be, 4FE053E0. And then the terminator. The null terminator indicates the end of the string, 0000000, 000, 000, 000, 000, 000, 000. total of four bytes. Whew. Then reboot the computer. The keyboard now works the way I want it to, or at least it works the way I think I want it to. My fingers were finally starting to get used to the key positions, and now they have to learn that new arrangement. So that I could create the same arrangement on a similar keyboard at the office, I exported the registry key and sent it to myself at the office. Instead of having to enter that long string, I simply loaded the registry key. And that was easy. In short circuits, the FCC finally has decided to attempt to reclassify broadband providers. Now, for some reason, this has taken on a political context, and it is being framed as a government takeover of the Internet. The broadband providers are doing a superb job of spinning that story. Now, think for a minute. Who created the Internet? Right, the government. Now the broadband providers want to take over control of the Internet so that they can control what you see. The FCC wants to regulate the Internet to keep it open the way it is right now. And the broadband providers try to convince us that it's the government that wants to take over something. Up is down, open is closed, free is imprisoned, and we have always been at war with Oceania. Remember 1984 by George Orwell? This week, the FCC voted 3-2 to two to begin the process of responding to a federal court ruling in favor of broadband providers, a decision that would effectively end net neutrality, the doctrine that forces these providers to treat all Internet traffic equally, regardless of where it comes from. Eliminating net neutrality would allow providers to deliver some data more slowly or to charge extra for it, or both. If you want choice, you want net neutrality. It's as simple as that, and it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with commerce. Some years ago, the FCC incorrectly classified Internet service providers as information services instead of telecommunications services, which is what they really are. Some of the big broadband operations have claimed that the FCC wants to control the content of the Internet. That is simply a lie, and there is no nicer or politer way to put it. The FCC is now soliciting public input on three possible options. The FCC could simply maintain the current regulatory policies and processes, classify broadband as a telecommunications service and regulate it, or adopt a third option that is favored by the chairman and a majority of the commissioners. The third option is a kind of compromise, a middle way. My preference would still be for full regulation, but that's unlikely. If you'd like to let the FCC know how you feel about net neutrality one way or the other, 
visit the Commission's website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, or just go to FCC.gov. If you want a new iPhone, it seems that you are not exactly alone. Apple says that more than half a million iPhones were ordered in the first 24 hours that they were on sale this week. The only reason the number wasn't higher was that technical problems stifled some of the orders. AT&T stores, for example, couldn't take orders, and the website fell over dead a couple of times. The Apple statement characterized the event as being the largest number of pre-orders Apple has ever received in a single day. Phones ordered earlier this week will be delivered on the day the phones go on sale in retail stores next week. Apple is still accepting pre-orders, but you might have to wait until mid-July to receive your phone if you order now. The new model iPhone 4 is faster and thinner than its predecessor. The built-in camera is a 5-megapixel device that can also shoot and even allow some editing of high-definition video. I suppose in a word, wow. Saying that Oracle has engaged in price gouging, the U.S. Department of Justice filed suit against Oracle this week. The suit claims that the company failed to disclose discounts and, as a result, overcharged the federal government by tens of millions of dollars. The General Services Agency's contracts are being reviewed, and this is the third suit by the Justice Department in the past quarter. Previously, the DOJ filed suit against EMC for $87 million, and the company settled out of court. The Justice Department said that EMC made false representations that resulted in the government paying higher prices than it should have. And in April, it was NetApp that settled a $128 million suit. All three cases came to light as the result of information provided to the Justice Department by whistleblowers. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.